0: Thank you for joining us on the Deeper Listening Podcast. My name is John Pru, and I'm here with my co-host, Justin Bruce. We want to help you discover new music from bands that you already know and bands that you don't.
1: And you know we're not music experts, but we're definitely music nerds, middle-aged dads here who enjoy discovering music.
0: So in this episode, we're going to dig into Metallica. We'll use the idea of Deeper Listening to track the band's music across their first five albums from their early 80s inception and their 90s radio dominance.
1: Now, folks who have heard prior episodes know that my musical blind spots are numerous and far-reaching. In spite of growing up in quasi-rural Pennsylvania, I have never on purpose heard a Metallica album. Certainly never heard one from start to finish. So it is time to fix that. We're going to do some deeper listening into Metallica. Now, unlike me, you actually you know, had that all American kind of Metallica experience growing up. Like, what, what are your recollections of Metallica?
0: Well, here's the thing I grew up in Alabama. So you can imagine me with a mullet crushing beers in a garage listening to Metallica. And that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what you got. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I listened to Metallica. Uh, my, one of my best friends in the world, his name's Dan Weinberg. Uh, he was the one that that introduced me to Metallica. you know. And for me, it's really easy to see why this is people's introduction into this kind of music. If I remember correctly, my first foray into, into like hard rock music, I think was Guns N' Roses. They had Appetite for Destruction and then the Use Your Illusion albums that came out. And I remember being really into them. Uh, my buddy Dan introduced me to Metallica and it was Injustice for All. You know, there's something about it uh, to me that that's both like just rebellious, yet it feels like it's for you. I feel like this is like a really good way to start if you're going to listen to like hard rock or metal, you know, type bands, you know, you can't just like, like go cold into something like death angel, you know, or or a band like that. So this is a good way to kind of get your, get your feet wet and figure out what it is that you're getting into. It's as good of a starting point as you could ask for. And I guess the Metallica is, is a more quote unquote commercial metal band, but in my mind, all of this really holds up, you know, and it's something that the, the reverence that's been bestowed upon Metallica, they've earned. People who have never heard a note of Metallica's music know
1: who they are and they
0: know what type of music that they play.
1: It was fun. Finally, like jumping in quasi blind. I was surprised at how much Metallica I had absorbed just as a living human being <laughs> over the last several decades. Once I actually started listening and I got to say like 1983, kill them all. I was on board and for a little while, as we started this project, I was like, this might be my favorite of these first five albums. So fast, the drums and the guitar are just breakneck speed on many, many tracks You can hear the lyrics, but it really is. Priority number one, to me anyway, sounded like the drums. Priority number two was the rhythm guitar. And then priority number three was like what they were actually talking about. The band kicked out Dave Mustaine a month before they recorded their debut album. But he had like been part of the band for a year or so as they got going. Uh, And then Kirk Hammett joined the band, uh, you know, right as they were recording their first album to kind of take over that lead guitar spot.
0: Kurt Hammett is, a, is just an unbelievable musician. And really, I mean, the the whole band is made up of, of just very talented musicians. For me, I think about Dave Mustaine. And I think it's just really worth noting that he's really kind of an enigmatic character in his own right. Uh, you know, the guy's been a part of two of the biggest metal bands that have ever played. You know, he was a part of Metallica. He was a part of Megadeth. I don't know that there's any other bands, you know, besides Metallica and Megadeth that have sold those kind of
1: records. He's almost like the uh, like the Dave Grohl of the uh, early <laughs> to mid '80s like thrash metal scene. All right, well, I'll pick it up here, and we'll get into track one. Hit the lights. It's like, this is the thesis for Metallica. It's all you need to know. Like I said before, just all drums, all shredding guitar. This is like a 10 out of 10 energy wise. The lyrics, which boil down to we are loud and Metallica fans rule uh, are admittedly kind of dumb. And I also think it's worth noting that early Metallica, we're talking clubs in LA, you know, Southern California, and this album in general, like really wouldn't. Pick up a lot of uh, momentum until I think Master of Puppets came out. It was one of those like, oh, this is a big band. This album is great. Let's go back and examine their earlier material. I think that I really listened to all of, them, all of Metallica's material in reverse
0: order from starting with Injustice for All and then going backwards from there. You know, and it's funny because I hear this music and I think about this band and how big they got. And one of the first thing that goes through my mind is that like, I kind of you have to imagine that these guys kind of had like a tough time in high school, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> these guys were like reading Tolkien and playing D D in the basement, you know, like these were not like super popular, you know, like they had a rough time, but I can only imagine that a lot of like the like more like angry and aggressive things that they that they sing about, and I don't know this is a fact, I'm just total conjecture here. But I would imagine that like some of that has to be the result of kind of getting picked on and things like that. It's funny because once they got a platform and once they got a voice, the lyrics, I do agree with you, the lyrics in Kill em All are kind of sophomoric, I guess. But when you get into some of the later albums, it's like, man, they've really got stuff to say. you know. And they, and they really go to some very interesting places with, with what they're talking about. And then the music itself becomes more and more complex as time goes on.
1: The Four Horsemen, there, there is a bridge and it is a Sweet Home Alabama homage at the 330 mark. I don't think it's coincidence, but there are fantasy kind of lyrics. I mean, we're talking about the Four Horsemen of the apocalypse here. So we've moved on from the We Are a Loud band and our fans are awesome to like getting into that D&D sort of uh, atmosphere this is just a great song, like multi-part composition, reminded me, even though it doesn't sound a lot like it, of you know the prog rock of the 70s, like some of the Genesis uh, complexity. Uh, and then at the end you're awarded just with shredding guitar, courtesy of Kirk Hammett. about you i feel like you've mentioned you know your dad telling you things either about life or about music before on the podcast but my parents not big music folks which is probably one of the reasons that i'm a bigger kind of a music guy but like we just didn't listen to a ton of music like as a family uh so if i would have heard metallica (laughs) as a kid i would have been like oh my god My mom would freak out if she heard this and she probably wouldn't have cared. She's not that kind of a person, but just in my head, like I feel naughty when I'm listening to songs like jump in the fire and at least best I can tell, you know, we're talking about like, oh, the devil trying to lure in, you know, new subjects. Like they say, jump by your will or be taken by force. I'll get you either way. It's like, all right, (laughs) all right, all right. I got it. Damien or got it, Lucifer. I'm sure if you were a sixth grader like that, you know, was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. This is insane. Or that disaffected, you know, freshman or sophomore in high school. Like, yes, I love everything about this. Well, yeah, it's funny now because
0: I used to think that, you know, a lot of these lyrics were so cool. You know what I mean? And, And now looking back, I'm like, all right. I always worried that the music that I listened to at this particular period in my life would be something that my parents would really not be happy about. My dad is a huge music guy, very, very influential, you know, as far as mm-hmm. the things that I like. He doesn't like all the things that I like, but I like most of the things that he likes. But this is one of those things where I think that like Metallica and Megadeth and, and you know, Slayer and all those bands that I listened to at the time. Like, I think it was just a big eye roll for him. And I don't know what the equivalent was because, you know, I, and maybe, maybe his parents looked at the Kingston Trio and were like, oh, those whippersnappers. But, you know, I can't I I don't know if it was the same thing, but I do remember this being a very, you know, kind of eye roll thing from from my dad.
1: In our last episode, talked a a lot about the Grateful Dead. And of course, most people listening to this podcast already know, you know, the Grateful Dead uh, had a keyboard player problem just so that they either kept dying (laughs) or, you know, having significant enough life problems to get kicked out of the band or Dying again, uh, yeah, we could go on and on. But so Metallica, the corollary is basically their bass players. Uh, Anesthesia, pulling teeth, such a cool track. Bass solo. I th- this is the one where I think they say like, "Take one" at the beginning of it, if if memory serves correct.
0: Bass solo, take solo. one.
1: And Cliff Burton, the original bass player, just an underrated creative force behind the band. They found Cliff playing in a club and they thought, who's playing guitar? And then they realized, oh, it's a bass solo. This guy's playing incredibly melodically, which reminds me of a weirdo bass player that I know we both enjoy a lot from Fish, Mike Gordon. Like, I just love a melodic bass player who's not just you know, playing like the root notes in time with the rhythm section.
0: That's so many of the bass players in the jam band, Mm -hmm. right? Like O'Teal is is like that. Uh, Phil is certainly like that. I mean, there's, you know, and then you even have guys like Claypool who are just, you know, who don't play bass the way that you would necessarily think of a standard bass player. They're much more, to your point, much more melodic and much less, of much less backbone. Mm-hmm. So or I should say standard backbone, like they still are holding it down, but it's, but there's a lot more to it.
1: I want to mention moving forward a little bit, the track Phantom Lord, only because like as a Metallica noob, when I did listen to this, uh, yeah, dark lyrics, devilish figure, Ooga Booga, there's a great solo at the two minute mark. Uh, And then there's a little bridge with arpeggio guitar chords that to me sounded a lot like future Metallica. you can already hear future Metallica sounds on this track, Phantom Lord on their you know first album in 1983 when no one is really even listening to them yet. And I swear, I'm not going to turn this into a let's compare Metallica to fish, but like, that's why Junta is one of my favorite albums is it's incredible how fully formed their sound was like right off the get go. And I feel like even though Metallica sound evolved and it evolved a lot by the black album, like it's all here as they start out as a young band, which I think is pretty cool and speaks to their talent. Metallica was one of the first bands
0: that I like really got into. Metallica was probably the first one. The second one was Nirvana and then it was fish after that. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a weird, you know, progression, but of bands that I really like dug into and learned a lot about, but I remember reading and, you know, watching like interviews and stuff like that with, with Metallica and them talking about Cliff's death because he died in a in a tour bus crash, and I think the I think that the driver of the tour bus and Cliff both died, uh, in, in in a car accident with where the rest of the band was on the bus, and it was the first time where um, like I remember being like devastated by like a tragic like rock death, but I didn't think about like oh I'm sure that was awful for his family, I was like oh that must have been terrible for his band, yeah. like how did his bandmates feel about that, mm-hmm. you know and which is kind of a weird thing. I don't know if other people can relate to that or not, but that that stuck out to me.
1: I think so. And especially, you know, back in like the 90s when we're consuming all of this music, pre-social media, you're relating to a band solely through their music and maybe a little smattering of, you know, like Rolling Stone articles or whatever, you know, kind of press they're doing. So your uh, lens into the band was just their music and into those personalities. So I think that totally makes sense. What a great debut album. The band wanted to call the album Metal Up Your Ass. And I think I recall from fifth grade seeing one of those t-shirts and being like, what is this? This is crazy. (laughs) But cooler heads prevailed and someone in the band, and maybe it was Cliff or maybe it was Kurt, said, kill them all at the record label.
0: The feeling of this album is like, you know, like just dank basements and hot beer. This has like this great combination of like aggression, anger, and like, you know, and the fear that produces the aggression and the anger is kind of all written into the album. And it just comes across in a really compelling way. If this album was your introduction to the band or to the genre, you know, for you, I could only imagine this kind of like sent you into a tailspin. Like, okay, like this is because this is very different from how I was introduced to them. But, you know, I'm actually kind of jealous that you got to experience these things in chronological order for the first time. Because for me, I started with Injustice for All, worked back, and the Black Album came out shortly after that. In fact, I think that the second CD that I ever owned might have been the Black Album. Oh, wow. The first was, uh, was Use Your Illusion 2. Oh. I do remember that. Goodness. So I, I do remember that. I had Injustice for All, Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning uh, all on cassette tape before I bought the Black Album on compact disc. And then I went back and bought Kill em All on compact disc. So I'm sure that it was a really cool thing to go back and experience this from, from the beginning. And, you know, I'm I'm not quite old enough, you know, neither of us, I guess, are are quite old enough to have, to have heard these things, you know, in chronological order. Unlike some people that we've talked to on, on Twitter who did get to experience it this way, but a lot of people, this is their favorite Metallica album. And I guess if it was your introduction, I can see
1: why it would be. One thing I do appreciate about early Metallica is it seems like it's coming off pretty honestly and not through that much of a filter,
0: I very much agree with that. And I think that their that their music comes across very honestly. Um, but I think that some of their image doesn't. And I'll explain what I mean by that. When you go back and listen to, uh, listen or read all of their interviews where they talk about their influences, it's like Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Thin Lizzy. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's bands like that. So I don't think that that's honest. I think that these guys definitely listen to classical music. They definitely, you know, they definitely listen to stuff that was not just, you know metal or pre-metal music but for whatever reason i think for their for their image they they were not want to talk about that right. um but they had to have had those influences in order to play the stuff that they did because the music and we'll talk about ride the lightning i guess we'll just jump into it now the music that thought that's on this album this is the beginning of metallica becoming more musically complex this album for me is, you know, I really think legitimately this album is great start to finish, you know, sonically to my ears, it's an enormous step up from kill all. It's also a, you know, it's a step up musically as well. Uh, The album's better produced and, you know, the the whole thing just comes across as a more professional record, you know, listening to this, I got the distinct impression that at least some of these guys had been in a classical because how could they not have been to kind of write these epic type songs. And I started thinking about, Beethoven writing these multi-part songs. And I did not read about this, but I wonder how much some of these guys must have been, you know, pretty well trained.
1: You know, if you're in your young 20s and the early 80s, like they were, you're in your teens in the 70s. Like, I wonder how much that Prague, you know, yes, and Genesis, big multi-part composition. I'm sure that was at least on their radar. I feel like that was probably on everyone's radar if you're into music, even if you're heavy metal you're at least aware of that kind of stuff because a lot of these especially as we get into the next couple of albums like this is you know not like a 2 minute punk song you know these are complex arrangements to say the least and unlike kill 'em all where i've alluded to a couple of the tracks being like we're loud our fans rule we're going to kick your town's ass uh like the first four tracks on ride the lightning address nuclear war Uh, capital punishment, war in general, and suicide. So we've already like elevated our game lyrically quite a lot. And this hits the sweet spot Ride the Lightning does. And I think that's why this is probably my favorite album of the ones we listen to. Uh, Because even though these are broader concerns, they're also kind of classical concerns. Whereas when we get into Master of Puppets, and especially... Uh, And Justice for All, it seems like we're addressing broader concerns, but we're addressing things like politics and that kind of a thing, whereas this feels really honest to me.
0: When you don't have a lot of life experience, I think that you have to talk about things in, in in a more broad context, because they just don't have the life experience to sing about, you know, things that are a little bit more personal to them, where when Master of Puppets comes out and the song Master of Puppets is very personal to James Hetfield... Uh, and then in, in Injustice for All, when they're singing about things where they're where they've really dialed in and they're singing about things that are very specific, you know, looking at the entire arc of their career. And maybe this would be better suited for a wrap up, but we'll get into it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, looking at the entire arc of their career, when people are like, oh, Metallica has gone soft. It's like, I don't know that they necessarily went soft. I think it has got old and comfortable.
1: The little bit of background reading that I did do basically said like there was an intentional pivot in the band when they were wrapping up. Uh, and justice for all and going into the black album because they had had some level of success, but nowhere near the Metallica that we know. And basically some of the feedback that they got uh, was like, we're playing this complicated heavy metal and it's not necessarily connecting with like as big of an audience as we want it to. They had kind of done the complicated, we can really play the heck out of heavy metal stuff on those first four albums. So there was an intentional pivot to kind of strip things down a little bit and try to make it a little more personal regardless of you know how we may feel in retrospect about the quality of the music uh, in the '80s versus the early '90s with the Black Album. Obviously, it was a smashing worldwide success, and when you look at their most popular songs, most of them come from the Black Album. Like, I can't fault them for it because, like you said, yeah, you're you know you're not going to make the same music when you're 30 and you've sold tens of millions of albums, I assume, versus when you're you know 22 and you're playing in clubs in LA and just. Hoping a drink beer.
0: And I think a lot of bands that play similar music have to go through similar things, right? Like with punk bands and with metal bands and things like that, where there's a kind of an underlying anger that, you know, that accompanies their music. And I think that that's what a lot of people identify with, you know, when the things that made you angry are all of a sudden easier, you know, and life has become easier and you're successful. And I just think it's really tough to keep that edge, you know, and at the same time, like, I wonder if they even want to keep that edge, Cause at a certain point it's like, all right, like, you know, like I'm 40, I don't want to be mad anymore. You know, like I'm, I'm done with it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, of course the band's going to grow and change. I think that, that diversion is important and, you know, to, to talk about, because this, you know, this band does what a lot of very, very good bands do. You know, you could go back to look at what like the Beatles did as an example. There's a very specific point in their career where things shift and they become a different type of band, But in this particular part of where we are now, they're still kind of figuring it out. I have to draw a parallel to Fish here. I know that that's usually your job, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, they start, they're practicing constantly. Like their band is everything about their lives. None of them are married yet. I don't believe, you know, so like they're spending a lot of time in the band room, writing more complex music. It's the same thing that Fish did, right? When they were all young guys you know living in vermont you know that all sleeping in the same house and playing music 12 10 12 hours a day yeah you can write you enjoy myself or you can write these really you know these complex songs Mm -hmm. and as time goes on you just don't have as much time to do it so and i don't know that you necessarily have the desire to do it either um but the songs on this album going back to ride the lightning and i guess that we'll, we'll do our best to stick on ride the lightning for a little bit but you know the songs on this album they're just epic you know and i really don't have any other any other way to describe them Fade to Black in particular. I remember where I was the first time that I heard this album. You know, this album to me, it deserves every single superlative that's been heaped on it. You know, I I will go ahead and declare this is my favorite Metallica album. I would not have said that this was my favorite Metallica album
1: before going into the project. Really? So you you've you're off of Master of Puppets as your favorite and on to ride the lightning as your favorite?
0: I'll reveal the order later. Okay. I'll save that for it. But yes. Uh, Master Master of Puppets uh, took a slide for me. I really like the front half of Master of Puppets mm-hmm. um, a lot more than the back half of Master of
1: Puppets. Huh.
0: So, but Ride the Lightning, I really, really enjoyed all the way through. And you know, this album, there were two albums that I spent the majority of the project listening to over and over again, and this this was one of them. You know, and and there's a lot of like quintessential Metallica songs that are on there. Um, and I think that one of the ones that you really liked, Justin, was uh, was Fight Fire with Fire.
1: it is as hard charging as the early album but it's evolved a little bit instrumentally it's a little more complex uh the analogy you know with for nuclear war here is basically what they're talking about to me that just resonates a little better than like some of the territory that they would explore on like the black album like inner sandman i'm sure their most popular song of all time but like to me that reduces to like I'm the boogeyman. I'm sneaking into your bed while you're sleeping. Like that's some Freddy Krueger stuff, which if you're in middle school, that's scary. But when you're a grown up, it's like, all right, this is silly. I really appreciated, like I said, kind of the uh, lyrical content of their songs. Uh, Even though you could listen to this album 10 times and maybe not even necessarily ever, you know, delve too deeply just because the music is kind of so in your face in a good way. One thing that really surprised me, about Metallica in general is I think they're kind of a political band, but also kind of a liberal band. And I don't know that obviously that's not part of their reputation, but like ride the lightning, the title track here. I mean, this is some capital punishment, Helen Prejean uh, type stuff where, we're describing what it's like to be the guy strapped into the electric chair and how scary that is. I mean, that's the phrase, ride the lightning. And it's so melodic. I thought one of the things that really jumped out at me is how many of these songs I would end up humming. And you would think, you know, melody and Metallica, that's not necessarily things that go hand in hand. To my ears, even this heavy sound uh, was really infectious. And I think that that is obviously a sign of, you know, some musical intelligence and and really a lot of skill. So I really love that. you had mentioned Fade to Black being like your intro to Metallica, just like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. To me, that also like pivots forward. I mean, we're singing. We're not just sort of like gruffly kind of yelling our lyrics. I mean, he's actually doing some singing. We have some acoustic guitar in there. This seems like a real intentional like desire to write kind of a song as opposed to like a a thrash metal kind of punk anthem that's just going to win over energy-wise everyone in the club. But there's just so much good stuff here on ride the lightning that like you were saying I and mean, this ended up kind of being up at the up at the top of the heap for me so was a big fan
0: yeah i mean for sure and, you know one of the things that i believe that you said about fade to black was that this was the first great metallica song yeah i don't know that i necessarily agree with that because i think that there are some great metallica songs like i think that fight fire with fire ride the lightning and for Whom the bell tolls are all like quintessential great metallica songs mm-hmm. but for me fade to black may be unsurpassed it may be the best song it may be in my opinion it might be my favorite song of theirs that they that they ever wrote You know, it's, it's within a handful of, of, the, of the greats to me. I really, really like it. And I'll say that the four song combo that starts this album is just legitimately incredible. You know, when you look at like great albums of all time, I really think that this album deserves to be up there. And it's funny because this album was great retrospectively. It wasn't necessarily an album that sold a ton of records when it first came out. But when people got introduced to Metallica and went back to ride the lightning, they were like, holy cow. And it's funny because when you see people in Metallica T-shirts to this day, it's usually a Ride the Lightning T-shirt that they're wearing mm, or a Master of Puppets T-shirt. Right. That's what I notice at least. It, it all comes down to personal choice. There's certainly an argument that can be made for several of these albums to be, you know, to be the best of, you know, of the Metallica catalog. But I, I think that you and I are, are in solid agreement that this is, probably, this is probably the one that's at the top of the hill.
1: And I think one of the things that does it for this album is, yes, it is front-loaded in its greatness, but it doesn't really relent all that much on the back half. Even if uh, perhaps like the the content of the songs becomes a, a little more muddled, it is still just stepping on the gas and going ninety-five miles per hour down the freeway. One thing that did like make me chuckle was the song "Trapped Under Ice." Yeah, yeah. Just because, obviously, you know us fish fans are thinking about it's ice, and we always love to you know pump up Tom Marshall and say, "Oh, what a what a great song! What lyrical imagery here!" And uh, James Hetfield did it <laughs> all by himself seven years earlier. So, sorry guys, I thought that was that had me cracking up when I was listening to it at like three or four in the morning by myself. But the back of the album doesn't doesn't let up, like I mentioned, and. The call of, and I don't know how to say this, Tulu, Cthulhu. I mean, this is just like five minutes of chunking guitar with a big payoff uh, and just a sizzling kind of drumming and lead guitar section to finish off the whole album. I went back and I did listen because, you know, like we said, new wave of British heavy metal music. I was like, all right, let me listen to the first Iron Maiden album. Let me listen to the first Motorhead album. I even went back and listened to the first Black Sabbath album just because it had been 20 years. And you could really see the progression from that, but also to my ears, like an elevation in the quality. It's not like we're just paying homage uh, to the folks, heavy metal lies that came before us. We've taken the genre and we have infused it with that speed and that intensity and that just kind of animalistic quality. And we've created literally a, a new genre of music and kind of a new branch here of the heavy metal tree. So kudos.
0: Very much agree. You know, I've read several articles that said that this album, that this album redefined metal music. And I think that fits in really perfectly with what you were saying, because I agree. I think that you can hear the origins of where this came from, especially to me, at least, especially when you listen to Black Sabbath and when you listen to Led Zeppelin, like those seem to be where the seed was planted. And then bands like Motorhead and Judas Priest and bands like that picked up the torch from there. And then this is what kind of became. When you added, you know, the, these guys' personal talent and personal, I guess, taste into into this, you know, it's something that it's it's hard to argue that this album changed, like, kind of changed everything. You know, there were several uh, parallels that were drawn to uh, the Judas Priest album, uh, "The Sad Wings of Destiny," basically saying that the same way that that Judas Priest album kind of rewrote the rule book, that this one did the same thing. You can really kind of see that because this kind of gave permission. In my mind, at least, it, it was the thing that gave permission to bands like even bands like Pantera and bands like uh, Sepultura. And there was you know several others that were, in, I guess, in that same genre that like really, you know, really went much heavier as a result of in my and, and, and maybe I get this wrong. Somebody, if you're listening, you can correct me on this, but it seems like Metallica was really the one that said, OK, like you can do this and make you know, commercially accessible music at the same time.
1: Right, which I mean is a genius sort of a approach to kind of take here if you're going to go heavy. Because I also yeah listened to Sepultura and I really kind of dug it, but it was like oof, this all right, this this is real heavy. I could understand why you know Metallica <laughs> basically emerged as the leader of the movement, and not you know Sepultura or Anthrax kind of came across to me as like a little. I was surprised at how bouncy it sounded, if that makes any sense. And like, I don't want to say ska, but like, there was a lot of like rhythmic, like buoyancy to at least the first Anthrax album, which is the only one that I listened to. Uh, and then Megadeth, I had never listened to any of that, and I listened to the first album, and I was like, all right, yeah, like a little more guitari, a little more like Mustaine's voice is kind of out front and center, but Metallica to me seemed to kind of be like the the most well-balanced of those like four founding fathers of, of thrash metal. We love to cite the pitchfork ranking and they did this uh, obviously retroactively, but if we like the album, of course, we're going to tell you that it was ranked a 10 out of 10, which is incredible. Uh, and you know, if, if we like the album and pitchfork doesn't, then we'll complain about it of course. Uh, but yeah. This <laughs> right, is, but
0: great job. Pitchfork. Yeah, well, well
1: done in this instance. Uh, so yeah. All about Ride the Lightning. And, God, that was 1984. I mean, I was three. Was that the year that uh, U2 put out Unforgettable Fire? It's just funny to think about, like, everything that's happening in music. You know, U2 is doing, like, this nuance, sort of laery, ethereal kind of uh, turn away from whatever post-punk origins that that they had, uh, new wave origins that they had. But at the same time, the fact that Metallica was doing this and just kicking butt, probably still in just small to medium-sized clubs. I mean, no one's playing arenas in 1984 uh, in Metallica. So this is just part of their like honest to goodness, this is who we are kind of genesis of their sound.
0: And then, you know, to me, they really keep it going with, you know, with with what they get into next. And, you know, in 1986, they put out Master of Puppets. If you'd asked me before this listening project, I would have said that Master of Puppets is the fully realized potential of Metallica in in an album. Um, You know, going back and listening to it, I think that, other albums may may be the actual the actual version of that, but it's it's tough to argue against you know against Master of Puppets really being a, another one of their just masterful albums. Um, you know this album's awesome. I remember this as being my my favorite one when I was you know when I was before I did this project. After I listened through a few times, you know this time I had a new champion, and I don't mean really to take anything away from how good this album is because it's really really good, uh, but just for me it was something where I found myself this time through. Really, really enjoying the first half of the album and the song Master of Puppets in particular. Um, You know, I really enjoyed the front half of the album uh, battery Master of Puppets uh, a lot more than I did towards the end. towards the end. They started to lose me a little bit.
1: Yeah, if I, you know, talk to any Metallica fan having done this project and feeling like comfortable in my knowledge about the band, you could tell me Ride the Lightning is your favorite and I'm going to respect that 100%. You could tell me Master of Puppets is your favorite album and I would also respect that 100%. I feel like these are the two clear cream of the crop albums when we talk about, you know, their early catalog. It was funny with Metallica and that the music kind of communicates so much uh, and then after listening to these things many, many times I'd go and look at the lyrics and I'm more of kind of a visual learner. So lyrics like with you have always, you know, kind of been something I've got to focus on. But when I would read the lyrics I'd be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes, that makes more sense. Or yeah, this checks out because like master of puppets, I'm pulling your strings, twisting your mind and smashing your dreams blinded by me. You can't see a thing. So that could be about anything, but a think it's probably about addiction or probably, you know, about some kind of push pull against one's will. It does make me appreciate how kind of broad James Hetfield can write without being too hyper specific, but that that's what this kind of came across to me as, as meaning. And I feel like you, you sort of saw that the same way.
0: I definitely did. I mean, to me, it's got to be about, about drugs, drug addiction, alcoholism. You know, what's interesting about this to me is, is just how totally honest it is, you know, coming from the perspective of somebody who's kind of been in that situation, you know, I really spent a lot of time personally trying to convince myself that like what I was doing was normal. What I was doing was okay. You know, that there was, you know, basically lying to myself about, about what was going on and trying to convince myself that it was true. You know, the reality of the situation is that it's super hopeless, you know, and you feel very hopeless like it talks about in the song where you're doing things essentially against your will. And, you know, and and it's true that if you are really in the throes of this, that it really kind of has you and it's, and you're, you're kind of doing things at the, at the whim of the, of the addiction. You know, and I've always been super attracted to the idea that people that could be so honest and insightful about things that were completely baffling to me. I didn't have the intelligence, I guess, to to even understand how bad my own addiction was until I started to come around to the other side of it and listening to how he's describing it in Master of Puppets. Like he's got a really firm handle on, on what that's like, you know, and he's able to sing about it in what I consider to be a very, very transparent way and a very honest way, you know, so looking back on this as somebody that is now in recovery and being like, okay, like this guy really understood what, you know, the, the the beast that he was dealing with in the time period where most people are still lying to themselves about, about how bad it is.
1: I mean, I think it is just his, sort of gift as an artist to describe that feeling and have it resonate so much with people because he, James Hetfield would end up going to rehab in like 2001. So, I mean, here he is talking about these things accurately, but he wouldn't suss that out for himself for another 15 years. And I think with anyone who has gone through, you know, Kind of life changes. Happy seven years sobriety, by the way. Incredible accomplishment. Very proud of you. Thank you. But with anyone who has gone through any kind of big changes, when you've had that awakening, I mean, you don't have it until it's a little too late. You're not, most people, I think, aren't woken up to the fact that things need to change until we've already kind of crossed some sort of a line because. If you were fixing your problems kind of before they became really, really, really big problems, you know it, your life would be on a on a different track. That does strike me as just impressive to him as a lyricist uh to be able to talk about yeah. this, have it resonate with someone like you, you know, even though he wouldn't get his own stuff sorted out for another decade and a half so
0: yeah i mean and and what I think is going on here is I think that he understands it you know I think that he understands it in a very visceral way but he's not able to do anything about it for years to come. For me, there was definitely a defining moment in my own life where I realized that I was drinking against my will, you know, and that I was doing those things against my will. And what that looked like for me, just to give a little, maybe, maybe somebody can relate to this. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give the story. But for me, what that looked like is I was about to take a car trip and I had my kids with me. And I was about to drive uh, three hours from New Orleans to another town in Louisiana. The thought crossed my mind, like right after I got in the car that man, the car trip would be a lot more fun. If I could just like have just like a little bit of vodka Mm. on the trip. Mm. And that was immediately replaced by uh, you could get a DUI. You could kill somebody. Your kids are in the car. You could lose your kids. Like, you you know, like all of these consequences, right. Flash through my head. And, I understood very clearly that is a terrible idea. That is not something that you should do. And literally five minutes later, I was pulling into a gas station to buy liquor. And it was something where it was like, I realized in that moment that I do not have, you know, I did not have the ability. Once the thought came into my head that I should drink, I didn't have the ability to stop it. That was what that experience looked like for me. So, and it was years after that, before I actually got sober And I think that that might kind of be like what's going on with James Hetfield in this particular song is I think that he might've had that kind of moment of clarity where he was like, Oh no, you know, like I'm, I'm doing this and, and there's really nothing that I can do to stop it. And it's, you know, and it's a really, it's a pretty hopeless feeling. And then I think that for me, what I did with that is, is really took that in the direction of trying to bury it and not think about it again. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things that it's like once, you know, once that becomes a part of your reality, it never goes away.
1: So that was kind of like the flicker, flicker of the light bulb the first time. Obviously, you know, no one wants to blow their lives up and everything you're doing always seems to make sense in the moment. Yeah, I think a lot of times it does take things, you know, not only appearing bad on paper, but like really being bad and having consequences, you know, before you're almost forced into making those changes or the, you know, evidence in front of you is just so insurmounting that it would almost be embarrassing, like not to address those problems. And I could 100% see how that would take a long time that, you know, moment of realization could be separated for weeks, months, years before that moment of action and hell i mean for a lot of people that moment of action never comes
0: yeah it's true i mean it's one of the sad realities of, of you know of the disease is that you know a lot of people a lot of people don't you know for me it's like it was a it was a strange mercy to you know to cr- to quote saint out. And bring that back it yeah you know, uh, who I'm actually going to see here in a couple of weeks. The, uh, Tell her hello. Radio City Musical. By the way, I will. I will. Dear I mean, John. She, she asked. <laughs> <laughs> I was to say. She's been singing to me for so long. Right. Like, the least I could do is go see her. But I mean, you know, I think that it really is kind of a it, it, it's strange to me that like for whatever reason, I was able to get it, you know, and I was able to to, to, to get away from it. And I don't think it's because there's anything special that I did. I think that it just, you know, it just worked out that way. And there's so many people, if everybody that wanted to get sober, got sober, there would be no reason for any 12 step groups or anything like that. But it's the unfortunate reality is, is that a lot of times you don't want to be doing what you're doing anymore and you can't stop, you know? And it's like, that's why there's so many, there's entire industries that have that have come up around the idea of, of doing that and and it's weird because one of the things for me that was important was admitting that I was doing that against my will. You know, and, and admitting that level of powerlessness for me was not easy. You know, it's like I could definitely admit the unmanageability of my life at that point, mm-hmm. but admitting that I was powerless to stop it was not something I was okay with for a really long time, but then it just became so obvious that it was like, okay. You know, like I I I know for sure, I do not want to be doing this anymore, and I'm continuing to do it because I feel like I have to. And what a what a weird thing.
1: Does that disassociation between you, you know, yourself and, and the problem, i.e. kind of the powerlessness, I mean, that's got to enable the change to start happening because whatever I've read via books and what have you about uh, AA and 12 step programs is it's like, don't worry about how it's working. Just let yourself go and just do the things that we're telling you to do. And there will be some tangible results and improvement here. I mean, is, does that exist? Does that, does that sound familiar? Does that make Makes yeah.
0: sense. Oh yeah, very very, very much so. And and for me, you know, and, and I promised guys that we'll we'll go back to talking about music in a minute. <laughs> but um if there's something that I could talk about just as long as music, it's this. But but you know, for me, what that looked like was when I started going to the type of support groups that I that I currently and still go to, uh for me AA worked. For other people it's refuge recovery. For some people it's NA. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to get sober. Nobody has a monopoly on it. Um, You find the way that works for you. And you do that for me, what it looked like is I started seeing people who, when they talked about what things were like, they had stories that were very similar to mine, or at least they didn't necessarily drink or do drugs the way that I did, but I related a hundred percent to how they felt. And that was always really important to me to identify with how they, with how they felt, but they would talk about that. And because they described how they felt in a way that I identified with so clearly that then when I saw that their life was different and that they were happy and that they had, you know, they had a freedom in their life that I didn't have, I wanted that. So at that point I was willing to do what they did in order to get it. But it's like, I had to see it in somebody else. And I think that that really is the power of getting sober with a group of people instead of trying to white knuckle it and do it on your own is that when you have somebody who has made it through that, then, you know, what at one point in their life was their biggest liability has now become their biggest strength because they can help
1: you through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I really appreciate your, your honesty. And, you, know, if you if there's one person listening to this, uh, you know, this this kind of is, is striking a chord. I think it's it's worth talking about, but I know it's not easy and I know it takes a lot of vulnerability. So thank you. Yeah. So let's go
0: back to, you know, let's put the horns back up and uh, you start <laughs> talking about
1: it. <a> <laughs> right. <laughs> let's go back into that dank uh, beer smelling basement and, and get into uh, I want to mention one really dumb thing and that it is uh, welcome home sanitarium love the stratospheric guitar solos uh, and again I almost feel like we're singing a little bit here on this track as opposed to the, the gruff stuff earlier uh, the lyrics not genius level stuff we're just talking about being stuck in a sanitarium but the dumb thing I wanted to mention is that I have been uh, singing to myself planetarium instead of sanitarium (laughs) for like a month now. And it hasn't not been funny just yet. So uh, there, there you go. Uh, Also though, disposable heroes, lyrically, let's give credit where credit is due. Like this is a bright spot, a flash of the political consciousness that they would, I think, put on display a little more as we move uh, forward. Soldier boy made of clay, now an empty shell, 21, only son, but he served us well. That's really clever and really insightful. Riding my mountain biking buddy was uh, in uh, the army for several years when he was in his 20s. And he also loved Metallica uh, when he was in his 20s. And I asked him, I was like, was this like the anthem, Disposable Heroes to, you know, you and like your fellow soldiers when you were? He was like, "Nah, that was like five years before we were we were more of a uh, black album kind of Metallica as a fan. So then I had to give him crap about that, uh, saying, oh, you missed the good <laughs> stuff. But, I mean, talk about sort of anthemic and anything that evolves beyond the, like, we're here to roll your face. Like, I'm impressed. Because there's just a side of Metallica that I was unaware of uh, when we started this project. Fuck that boy.
0: You know, in this particular song, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to when I listened to it the first time. I didn't, you know, but as I've gotten older and have gotten more, I guess, you know, socially and politically conscious and and have actually thought about the experience of other people, you know, I don't have the experience of being in the military and going off to war and coming home. I've got friends that have that have that experience. And man, it's like, it really seems like that's, you know, that's not easy. Some of what goes along with that, it, it appears for some people, at least, is that, you know, they have PTSD and they don't have a lot of resources to deal with it, or they don't have the wherewithal to deal with with it or whatever the case may be. And it's, and it's not a great scene. So I think that them singing about this in 1986, you know, maybe now more people think about it than did before, but I think that this was, you know, I don't know that it was necessarily groundbreaking because there was plenty of bands that sung about like what was going on at Vietnam and things like that. But to sing about it from this perspective of the soldier coming home, I think was really, was, you know, if not unique, it was really well done.
1: Yeah. 100%. 100%. Uh, Orion, big fan. This feels like a magnum opus, uh, long instrumental track. I uh, love the double guitars. I don't know if that's Kirk Hammett, like, you know, uh, playing alongside himself or if James Hetfield is stepping up, but it gave me a real, uh, like, Wilco, Impossible Germany kind of double guitar vibe. Uh, closing track Damage Incorporated uh, you had mentioned the classical music maybe is somewhere deep down there on the ingredient list for these guys I mean this is like 90 seconds of what sounds to me like classical music before we finish the album just thrashing and kicking everybody's butt uh, musically uh, which is just how the album started with Battery so a nice kind of uh, start point and end point here they wrapped it up as we would hope Metallica would Uh, then we can get into 1988. So we talked about this a little, but Cliff Burton died in a horrific uh, bus crash. I believe they were in Europe. Uh, you said the circumstances were a little unclear if it was the fault of the bus driver who also passed away, if weather was involved. But I know that it, the, guy, the rest of the guys are getting off the bus here after this crash and this bus flipped over. And Glyph is under the bus, so how horrific. I mean, this has got to be life-altering and something that if I were them, I know I would think about every day, and I'm sure they do too. So Jason Newstead comes in. He had been a fan of the band, chops-wise. He's up to the challenge, but he's the new guy. And this is, you know, four, four guys in their 20s. There's some hazing involved. And basically, he is just buried in the mix here, whether that was purposeful, by Lars Ulrich, uh, which you could definitely read that if you want to. Uh, Or it was just the fact that, you know, Jason Newstead, as a fan of Metallica, kind of tends to play some of the same kind of sounds that James Hetfield is playing low end kind of rhythmic uh, sounds. But at any rate, in justice for all, like you will read that people are kind of complaining uh, in retrospect about the sound of the album, about how it's mixed, because, you know, you go from the bass player being one of the shining stars of the band to, you know, almost being non-existent. Here's a fun fact, Uh, Les Claypool auditioned to join Metallica and they ended up going with Jason Newstead. I was like, Whoa, small, small world. I think musically, even if the bass player is taking a step back, this is a little more complex, uh, at least guitar wise and composition wise uh, than the first three albums, which is really kind of saying something, you know, lyrically, They're continuing that trajectory of Master of Puppets, but there's a little bit more of this political and societal bent. Uh And when I listened to this, I was like, oh, I feel like we're in Ronald Reagan's America here. And, you know, we mentioned Metallica being a little more political than than I had ever thought that they were. But I can feel that late 80s kind of disaffection. You know, in my head, I'm thinking about like uh, the parental uh, warnings on albums yeah. and how, of course, if you're Metallica, this is going to upset you. There
0: is a lot of that. And I think that with this album, this is the album where when people when like the, I guess the faithful talk about Metallica, this is the album where people point to things starting to shift. And, you know, a lot of people say that this is the album where, where Metallica starts to sell out you know and for me like i hardcore disagree with that sentiment i think that this album is as good as anything that they've ever done i think that the reason that this album is is not held in the same regard by a lot of people that like ride the lightning or master puppets is is because this was the first album that had a song on it that had significant airplay on mtv Mm -hmm. Um, you know the song one uh, had a lot of airplay it was a really cool but heavy video that went along with it And it's another one of these like epic songs that it takes a little bit for it to become heavy, you know, but, but Metallica had been kind of messing around with that idea for a long time of, you know, of, of, having songs that were not necessarily distorted were a little bit more that were a little bit more melodic and then kind of pulling, you know, the, the heavier elements that they brought into the first three albums into it. But, you know, with this one, I think it's, you know, I think it's a really, really good album, you know, and, and for, for me personally, I mean, this one, this one's way up there for me. I know that there is definitely going to be some bias on my behalf because this was my starting point with Metallica. But I mean, it's just really hard for me to see a whole lot of songs on this album that aren't just great. You know, I mean, I really think that's just a it's a really it's a collection of really great songs, maybe with a possible little bit of maturity of being able to look at an album as a as a piece of music and not have to compare it to the other to the other albums that preceded it. When I when I look at this as just a, a piece of music that was written, I think that that's I think it's uh, Legitimately, I think it's a, it's a masterpiece. I think it's a great, great record.
1: Yeah. And I, it's a very natural progression for me to see, you know, to go from Ride the Lightning to Master of Puppets to Justice for All. And I get the, oh, they sold out because I have a video on MTV. I mean, that's what hardcore fans are going to say of any band as a band gets big. And the band was getting big here. So I think we can almost you know, dismiss that notion. Blackened, uh, to me, seems to be about nuclear winter and they say see our mother put to death millions of years and minutes disappears like bravo way to go guys in your 20s writing about in a nuclear winter they can run away millions of my years And this reminded me of Fight Fire with Fire from Ride the Lightning, which is not a bad thing. They took a note out of uh, Pearl Jam's future playbook. Let's start off track one and just knock them <laughs> yeah. down.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a great opener, right? I mean, you know, it rocks the whole time, start to finish. I mean, this song is, this song is awesome. You know, the, the bass drum, this is where you also start really noticing that the recording and the production on the album is, is a lot different because the bass drum is jacked way up in the mix and you basically can't hear Jason that at all you know or it, and there's a whole lot of points in this album where you're like if there's a bass player here i can't hear it at all right but what they do with the recording is because lars is using the the, the double bass uh the double bass kick drum because that's going on it's like you really hear that coming through and it's like that seems to be kind of you know what they're using to I guess hold that place that a bass player typically would and it starts out with with this song.
1: And Justice for All like we said these guys are biting off a lot of lyrical content for their age but they really do it well Seeking No Truth, Winning Is All, Find It So Grim So True, So Real One of the good things about (laughs) and justice for all to me is that even if the songs kind of wash together a little bit, it is a very meaty midsection like shortest straw. I get some of those tense vibes from the earlier albums, just because it is so frenetic in spots, harvester of sorrow. It's a measured headbanger, uh, but it does the job. Frayed ends of sanity picks up and keeps that sort of track going at the beginning of Frayed Ends of Sanity, I heard some OEO, BOE, like from the Wizard of Oz. It's was like, these guys, right. I love it. <laughs> really like the Wizard of Oz, not anytime a band, whether they're hard or whatever they are, anytime they're making like nods elsewhere. Like I, I'm always going to dig on that. Like, yeah, love, love hearing a tease.
0: Yeah, no. Oh yeah, exactly. We've been well-trained for that. To go back really quickly and talk just for a second longer about the song One Mm -hmm. that's on this album. To me, it's really worth mentioning because this was legitimately, you know, this again, the rule book is rewritten and metal is now brought into the mainstream. They're on MTV. They have a video, you know. And to me, like, this song not only changed the band, it also, to me, it kind of changed the genre permanently. To me, it gave the other bands permission to not be all distortion all the time. It gave them permission to to tell more of a story lyrically, you know, in a very clear and concise way because, like, he's singing, you know, like, in this in this song. It's not something that's, that's muffled. It's not, you know, he's not yelling it. It's not angry. You know what I mean? Like, he is very clearly, you know, singing the song. And and once again, the real, the, the rule book is kind of rewritten. The only other thing that I'll say about the song too, is that when the drummer drops into halftime, it's almost awesome regard. I mean, it's almost always awesome, mm-hmm. you know, when that, when that happens. And in this song, when they've finally gotten through the, the, the lyrical part and Lars starts playing the double bass and he starts playing the double bass and then he drops into halftime, and it gets so cool so quickly and it's just awesome i think this album is is unfairly you know, derided by a lot of fans where I think that if they, I think that if they were to go back and possibly do something like this, where they go back years later and, and after having not listened to the albums for a while and and give it a re-listen might see this album in a slightly different light uh, because I feel like it got beat up a lot, especially, I feel like it gets lumped in with the black album a lot Uh, and not that the black album is a bad album because I don't think it is, but I think these two kind of get grouped together. And I think that it's a little bit unfair because I think that this album is, is, Is quite different from from the next one.
1: Yeah, and as a guy who had no preconceived notions, like that just blows my mind to think that someone would even try to make that comparison. Like I get that we're on MTV. Oh, they're selling out, but musically, uh, this is right on par with the three albums that they've already produced. And to my ears, yeah, is well before this intentional pivot into the uh, black album. So. Two things that I want to mention before we move on is do you think that the uh, album title, the dot, dot, dot and Justice for All in any way is a reference to what Dave Mustaine was doing with those early Megadeth albums like P-Sells, dot, dot, dot. P-Sells,
0: who's buying? But who's
1: buying, dot, dot, dot. Like, Maybe. Because to me, I mean, you could think, I'm sure these guys are competitive, even though they did, as you mentioned, you know, gave them a lot of songwriting credits on the first album and sort of honored his influence, but that's the first thing that popped into my head when I thought about that. It's very possible, and I believe that Dave Mustaine's
0: exit from the band was acrimonious. I think that it depends on which version of the story that you listen to, if I remember correctly, because I haven't looked at this in a while, but you know, I, I don't believe that he left the band on good terms. I don't think that he wanted to leave the band, and I think that later he went on to be like, no, I, you know, I wanted to get the hell out of there, but I don't think that, that was the case. I think they fired him. <laughs>
1: Uh, And then the other thing is the, the closing track, To Live Is To Die, potent, powerful homage to Cliff Burton, made of basically riffs that he had composed, bravo to Cliff, super cool.
0: That had to have been something that, you know, if they don't continue to think about it to this day, I'd be surprised. I mean, it's it's got to be really difficult the same way that when you hear uh, like Anthony Kiedis talking about when Halal or Mm Halal, when when he passed away, like how that has, you know, he did an interview relatively recently where he said that, like, oh, he's like, I think about him every day. Wow. You know, so it's like, it's got to be something like that when you, you know, when you lose, when you lose a band member and a friend tragically. Yeah.
1: As we get into the fifth album here that we're going to talk about, the Black Album, most of Metallica's most popular songs are from the Black Album. I knew more than half of this album without ever having purposely listened to Metallica, which I think is you know, kind of impressive. I will say it about the Black Album. Like, this is a, a huge demarcation from the earlier stuff to my ears. And I would think that anyone who was like, they've sold out with And Justice For All when they heard the Black Album must have been like, had their heads exploded in, dare I say, disappointment because it is a deviation from the earlier sound. But three out of the first four songs are huge hits. Like I said, I, I knew them all, not even wanting to or knowing that I knew them all. Kind of corny lyrically to me. Uh, but the instrumentation, yeah, it's radio friendly. Like if they were trying to be radio friendly, they have nailed it, like got an A plus on trying to become a more radio friendly band. And you had mentioned how these eight, nine, 10 minute songs prepared you for, you know, your, your fish life, your grateful dead life. That is what I alluded to earlier when they were like, we want to reach a bigger audience. How are we going to do it? So this is how they do it is basically with the black album. And I would imagine you said you listened to injustice for all. But then the Black Album came out. I mean, this must must be seared into your brain, I would think, decades later.
0: At the time when the Black Album came out, I knew that it was a big deviation from, you know, from what had happened before. But I mean, I loved all of it. But it was also something where it was like at the time when it came out, like when did it come out? 91, it was 12. Right. You know, so it was like that coming of age time. I didn't know what selling out meant. I didn't understand why the Metallica faithful had such a had such a problem with this album. And I think that if the Metallica faithful could have heard what was to come, that <laughs> they may not have given this album such a hard time. To me, it's like, yeah, I mean, the the songs that are on here that were popular and that had a lot of radio play, they were deservedly popular and had a lot of radio play. This is definitely a very, very different feel uh, than, than any of the other albums. I think it's a great album, but this is not one that whether by virtue of just the fact that I've heard every one of these songs so many times. Or possibly by the virtue of thinking the other the other albums are better. You know, when I go to listen, when I want to get my Metallica fix, this is not the album that I've been on. But it's hard to deny that it is, you know, it is when you look at a streaming service or when you read about, you know, uh, Metallica albums that are, you know, ranked or whatever. Like, this is why the, this album becomes comes on top of all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's because of how, how popular that it was. And yes, the songs are radio friendly, but yeah, the songs are, they're good, good, good songs.
1: I really, like, even though Inner Sandman, like, infectious for sure. But the whole child's prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. It's like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> this yeah. is ridiculous. But yeah, it makes sense that it would be a big hit. But, like, Sad But True, great song. And also, like, lyrically does hold a lot of water. Uh, I'm sure I've said this many times because it's taken me literally forever to read this book. But I'm reading Stephen King's The Stand, uh, the, mm. the unabridged. So I'm I've got like twenty percent more to go. Only seven thousand more pages. That's pretty much what it feels like but you know it's basically a good versus evil and kind of what what even is evil uh and i got that vibe a lot from this song and what metallica is saying was like hey there's a little bit of evil in everything and like that to me is like yes that makes total sense and i think that that's like accurate and that does kind of ring true so even though this is this humongously popular song like, i love that it actually does hold up I'm your truth. Telling lies, I'm your reason, alibis, I'm inside, open your eyes, I'm your, true. The Unforgiven, like, is a bit of a deviation because of, like, all the acoustic uh, guitar, even though they do still have the heavy sound going on and To me, it is like symbolic of this like evolution of their sound. And Metallic, I mean, they were putting like acoustic little flamenco guitar flourishes to open up Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets. Like they had flirted with that before, but I feel like this is like really integrating that lighter sound into their actual sound. wherever I may roam, just to kind of finish up talking about the the first half of the album here, I'm all about it. And I kind of like the darker vibe here. Then it's funny. It's almost like you think about, you said that you bought this on a CD, you know, 91, that's when a lot of people were making the transition. But if you do think about it as like a cassette uh, or, or maybe a record, it's like, all right, we're putting the new stuff, our new sound on side one, flip it and boom, here's the Metallica that like, The sound that you know and and love. Here's the Metallica you know and love. Like, dare I say, even though, you know, all the popular songs are on side one, like side two of the Black Album is, is actually pretty darn good and like emblematic of that earlier, heavier sound.
0: Yeah, with the exception of nothing else matters, I think that it's pretty it's pretty heavy all the way through on
1: the on the second half. Incredible point there, because that is probably like the biggest, like whoa, what is this kind of a song? Is like this a uh, ballad? Are we, uh, are we singing a love song? Is yeah, what what are we talking to girls? Is that what we're doing here now in Metallica?
0: Yeah this 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 is a uh, this is you know what what Motley Crue did Home Sweet Home. That's <laughs> that's nothing else matters. Yeah. Oh.
1: One thing I do want to mention is Don't Tread On Me Which like, oh, I, I can't My eyes might have permanent damage When you say Don't Tread On Me As your song title It's like, oh my, okay Oh, I can't <laughs> I cannot
0: I have seen the inner workings of my skull As a result of you saying this The
1: opening of Don't Tread on Me They work in West Side Story music, the song America. I listened to this blind and was listening to this. I was like, what? Are we referencing West Side Story? And indeed we are. And then I Googled it just to see what people said about this. And uh, the first thing that I read was someone in a Reddit thread saying, oh my gosh, I was watching West Side Story and I heard that Metallica song in it. So it was like working in reverse (laughs) for some Metallica (laughs) fans. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, okay. Like I feel like if you're referencing the song America from West Side Story in Don't Tread on Me, I am picking up what you're putting down and the right. idea of don't tread on me is 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 tongue in cheek. I'm still gonna roll my eyes because I'm sure this is like a born in the USA Bruce Springsteen kind of anthem for some people. Right. But like I see you, Metallica.
0: Yeah, I see I see what you're doing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, it's so funny because
0: this album both put them on the map and completely destroyed their career at the same time. Right. Like, and what, a, what a unique album that this is, because it's like it is their, it is their most sold, most listened to. Any, anything that they have earned a living off of, most of that has come as a result of this album. Mm-hmm. But nothing is ever the same for them afterwards. They have their biggest amount of stardom as a result of this album, but they're never as popular again they picked up this new audience that was not willing to stay with them after this album, you know, but they lost their old audience at the the same time. And it's not to say that Metallica comes to town. They're not selling out the arena. They're going to, for sure. but I don't think that the people are nearly as fervent about the later half of their catalog as they are up until this (sighs) point.
1: Well, and, you know, we did this project listening to their first five albums and they've got 10, you know, studio albums. So this was a good examination of the first half of their discography. Uh, so then I went ahead and listened to Loaded and I was like, oh, okay. I know a lot of these songs too, like Fuel, uh, Memory Remains, the Un- Unforgiven 2. I mean, the Unforgiven 2. Well, like, I, know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on, guys. like. You go- like, i named this cat cat <laughs> right when i named the second cat cat too cat too but then there are like some weird little moments on loaded like memory remains the song like there's this weird like witchy like da 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 a uh, vocalization that's on one of the tracks is like how did i never hear this on the radio or maybe there's like a radio version that they just cut that weirdness out of da 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 But they're like, start making some choices after the Black album that get even weirder. Then I've been a little obsessed with uh, listening to uh, the music producer, Rick Rubin's podcast, Broken Record. It's nice. Yeah, it's a great podcast. It's nice to listen to someone who is like seven times more chill than me. And I like to think of myself as a fairly chill person. It's almost just like meditating through my headphones, but he worked with them in 2008 on the album Death Magnetic. And that is one that I think people see as a little bit of a bright spot to hear him say it. He basically listened to all their stuff. and was like master of puppets is, your best album let's make an album here in 2008 in the mindset of metallica in like 1986 and if you want to listen to a newer metallica album go ahead and start with death magnetic because it was pretty good to my noob ears
0: i remember back in the day that uh that uh, metallica and guns and roses played a show together and i believe that metallica opened for guns and roses oh wow and you know what I remember hearing about it is that you know is that Guns N' Roses was not at the time was not a great live band mm-hmm. because you know Axel had all of his issues and I, I think that the show that they played in Birmingham, uh, if if memory serves, basically Metallica came and, and and burned the place to the ground. You know, played this incredible show and then and then Guns N' Roses came out there. Axel had a meltdown twenty minutes into the set and the show was over. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, so I think it was some, something like that. But yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely go and check Metallica out. I think it'd be fun. And and I, you know, I think about there are so many bands that recently even have late in their career put out like very, very good albums late in their career. And I wonder if Metallica's got another good one in them.
1: We are you know? waiting on your Sigma Oasis, Metallica. Let's see what you can <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah,
0: exactly,
1: exactly. So this has been a really fun
0: deep dive this reminds me a lot of the Funkadelic podcast that we did because it was, you know, something music that I'm really, really familiar with. So it's been really cool to hear your take of, you know, of what this is like. What are your closing thoughts on,
1: on the project? I was really glad that we did this because it was almost like easy for me to kind of ignore uh, harder music, heavy metal. Uh, There's just so much other music that I always listen to, but I feel like Metallica kind of held me by the hand. And since starting this project, I mean, I've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole, kind of an introductory one. I mentioned listening to some of these 70s bands like Iron Maiden and Motorhead to kind of see where this genre came from. But it also whet my appetite to listen to some 80s punk like I started listening to some Black Flag, and it really opened the door musically to that heavier genre of music that I come to find yeah. out not that heavy, still pretty accessible. Like, and even some of the stuff like Sepultura, I was like, oh, this I, I could totally listen to this. I don't know if I'm going to crank it, you know, while I make a dinner for the fam, but like super listenable. So it was just a, a really nice entry point into what admittedly was like an ignored and underappreciated like facet of music. So I'm definitely grateful for that. And there's nothing like being on a mountain bike ride and you'd think he's going to talk about the desert. Nope. I'm talking about vacation when I was in Idaho (laughs) going up in the middle of the forest and just listening to ride the lightning and just crushing it.
0: I would like to mention that it's hard to talk about Metallica and not mention the whole Napster thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just as a quick history lesson for people that were not around in the time of Napster uh, Napster was really kind of the precursor to what streaming is now. Um, And what it was, is it was the first time where, you know, a large volume of music was accessible to a lot of people. Um, And they used like a, basically a file sharing program, you know, through Napster where you could for free pretty much access almost any music that you wanted to. And as a fan of music, it was this great thing back in, you know, back when it was going on. When this is going on, uh, Lars, the the drummer uh, from Metallica, got involved in, um, I don't know if it was a lawsuit or if he like testified before Congress or or something like that, but he was the one that held the torch against Napster. Uh, you know, saying that like, Hey, this is something where artists are going to be the ones that suffer as a result of this. The reason that I want to bring this up is that this was a big deal. And it was something that like people absolutely hated Lars guts for this because what they saw was, is that all, you know, all all of this free music is about to be taken away from me. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I was right along there with them. I couldn't, I was so, I was so mad that that happened because it was the first time that I had, you know, this, you know, nearly unlimited access to all this music a lot of the music that I probably would not have purchased without hearing first, um, but Napster made it to where I could get it without having to pay for it at all. The version of iTunes was something that I, came, I think that came out of the idea of this and and streaming was born after it. I would like to you know, now formally apologize to Lars for all of the <laughs> hard time that I gave him about that because he was 100% right. And this is something that You know, looking at this now, when I look at like Bandcamp and I look at what some of those guys are doing to try to get more money into the pocket of the of these artists, you know, now as a result of what's happened with streaming artists, the, the way that artists get paid is to tour and sell merch, you know, so when things like the pandemic happen, you have a lot of people that are not able to make a living, you know, and it's something that Lars was right. And while and I think that he even said, it's not Metallica that needs the money, you know, it's the it's the little guy that needs the money um you know and of course we all i guess we all i say me and my friends were like oh you know like this greedy bastard is you know is trying to make sure that he can squeeze every nickel out of you know out of of their career and that really isn't I, i don't think was was why he was doing what he did i think that it was a very altruistic thing that he was going for because truly enough artists were not getting paid for the work that they were doing so i actually have come around on the idea that lars sucks <laughs> and i'm now firmly in the camp of lars was 100% right i'm glad that he did what he did i don't know that streaming has been it's been a great thing for music consumers it has not been a great thing for uh for the artists and you know places like bandcamp and 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 places like that where artists can can make money off of making records as opposed to as opposed to just off of touring and merch I think that, that Lars deserves a lot of credit for seeing what this for, for seeing what was going on and being willing to be the mouthpiece for doing something about it. So that, so that these guys can make some money.
1: When I think back to that time uh, you know, I think back to Pearl jam fighting Ticketmaster, And I feel like that was something that just music fans could generally get behind, like, cause we've all gone through that experience of not being able to get the tickets that we want because of scalpers, but yes, having, the outspoken already kind of uh, not a hundred percent likable character of this humongous man being the, the front or the face of this movement, especially when Metallica is, you know, in the nadir, uh, the low point kind of of their creativity, like not super sympathetic. And yeah, I was with you. I mean, I was in my dorm room in 2000, like downloading all this stuff on the free college high-speed internet, <laughs> you know, of course, who doesn't want to just, take all that music, but yes. Let us give him his fair due because now I any mean, conscientious music fan is yeah streaming album. It's great to support smaller artists on Bandcamp, especially Bandcamp Fridays, yada yada. In addition to seeing them tour and buying merch and stuff. So yeah, he was he was in the right, and uh, we uh, me and uh, Irvin Hall room two fourteen in my college days uh, <laughs> was in the wrong. So kudos to him and his uh, prescience for being able to see the way things were going to go.
0: I mean, who knows where that where that could have gone? Um, so you know, I'm glad that there's. I'm glad that there now exists a way. You know, especially through Bandcamp because it's not through Spotify or or, or through iTunes. No, but through Bandcamp, there's a way where, where artists can can start to make money again, making you know making music. Yeah, which I think is great.
1: No, I feel like we've kind of ranked as we went along. Uh, we, I'm impressed. Uh, he, never too late to change your mind about anything. Um, but in our rankings of these first five Metallica albums. Uh, for me, tier one, uh, ride the lightning and master of puppets neck and neck. I'm going to go ride the lightning just because it was first and feels like a little more personal and like a little more, uh, if two things are great, similarly great. I feel like the first thing is even a little bit greater just because it happened first. So for me, it's ride the lightning and master of puppets. Uh, and then it is uh, justice for all and then kill them all. Even though I love, just the genius of that debut album. And it just sets the stage for the trajectory that they're going to go. And I think justice for all and kill them all uh, very, very similar ground here, but I would probably give justice for all a little bit, a little bit of an edge in truth, probably deserves a little bit more of an edge. And then underneath that tier three is the black album. How did things stack up for you?
0: Uh, similarly in that ride the lightning was what definitely came out as the, to me is the, as the clear best album in their catalog. You know, for me, what, uh, where I actually went from there though, was that, that after ride the lightning, I would actually put injustice for all as my second favorite, which, you know, I think would have been further down the list. Had we done this, if I had done this blind and just talked about what I knew that that, that album would have been further down the list looking at it in terms of, you know, I guess, listening to music, you know, more intently now, I feel like Ride the Lightning and Injustice for All are their two masterpieces. You know, I don't think that the Master of Puppets is far behind them, but I do think that to me, I see a clear, I see a clear departure now from Ride the Lightning to Master of Puppets. And I feel like they kind of recapture a lot of the creativity and the glory of, of Ride the Lightning in Injustice for All. <laughs> So I would rank my favorite as being Ride the Lightning. My second favorite is, is Justice. Third would be Master of Puppets. Fourth would be "Kill 'Em All. And, and fifth would be Metallica. That said, I would not rate any of them lower than like a seven and a half. You know, and really of the first four albums, I don't think I would, I would rate any of them lower than an eight and a half. Um, but I would say that, you know, for me, Ride the Lightning and, and, and Justice for All are both 10s
1: really impressed by this entire discography and even yeah if you can set aside the like oh some of this is soft uh and they've sold out uh when it comes to the black album like i I think it totally fits a natural arc of evolution for them and go sell those tens of millions of albums instead of hundreds of thousands of albums and you know cast that wider net like have no problem with uh with what they did with the black album, even if, you know, it's not something that I'm necessarily going to going to go back to all the time. All of your suggestions have been, uh, have been pretty damn good. So I'm excited to see what, whatever we figure out to, uh, to get into next.
0: If you are a, if you are a frequent listener and you've made it this far into this podcast, <laughs> I appreciate the, the weight of, uh, in between the eyes of the world episode and this one. Uh, I think Justin and I just decided that we were going to we were going to say that this was after our summer break, that this was uh, the beginning of season. Two. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, a, it's
1: like a new era. I mean, you know, family vacation, summer, summertime and the living is easy, but the living is also kind of busy. So thank, yeah, thank you for exactly. your patience, everyone. So
0: uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you liked what you've heard, please subscribe to the podcast and feel free to leave a review. We have read them all. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter at uh, listen deeper or on Instagram at deeper underscore listening, underscore podcast. We'd love to know what you think, what you like, what you don't. Uh, And we'd love to just talk to you about, about some music. So please reach out to us on, uh, on social media so that we can uh, do the thing that we like to do, which is talk about music, Um, especially if you disagree. I really like to have those little, you know, I don't want to say arguments because they're not arguments, but I, uh, but I like to, I like to hear other people's perspectives. Uh, and thank you, as always, to the incredible Thomas Wing for our theme music. Uh, this will be the second run with our new theme music. Uh, we really encourage you to check out his Bandcamp page. You know He's one of the artists that, as we were talking about earlier, that you can support through Bandcamp. Bandcamp Fridays will be a great time for you to check out Thomas's page. His page is blackoutmakeout.bandcamp.com. And there will be a link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time.